All right, well, if you would, go ahead and turn to uh, Luke chapter 24, and you can go ahead and get uh, ready at verses 46 through 49, or what we're going to look at today. Uh, We'll read those here in a few minutes. Uh, Today, we're coming to the end of uh, our series in the book of Luke. Uh, We've called this series Radical Love, and if my records are correct, we started this series on October 16th, 2011, which means we've been in the book of Luke now for a year and three weeks. Now, we occasionally will do topical series here, and and we're going to do some topical series coming up, but the best way to approach the Bible, in my view, uh, is to work through books of the Bible. And so I commend you as a church for being people that don't complain when sermon series are not based on superheroes or TV shows. I appreciate that you have not complained about that, or that if you have a complaint about that, that you haven't shared it with me. So uh, thank you for that. Um, Often what I do on the last week of a series is I'll sort of recap uh, the series, kind of summarize what happened in the series. But uh, since this was such a long series, I thought better of that idea because I realized that to do that, we'd all need to be here together until about Wednesday. And so I don't think we'll do that. Uh, it would cause you to miss the election coverage, and I'm sure that uh, none of you uh, would want to do that. So uh, we called the series Radical Love because the book of Luke is absolutely filled, just just chuck full of evidence of how much God loves us. Uh, The book of Luke tells us of Christ, God the Son, who condescended to become a man, lived a sinless life in perfect obedience to God the Father, died on the cross for the sins of people who were hostile toward him, and rose to life again, conquering death for all who would trust in him. When you think of the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ, when you think of the sacrificial nature of Christ's love for us, radical really is a good word to describe it. Uh, We saw in Luke the radical nature of God's love for us in Christ's willingness to leave the splendor of heaven, to, to not grasp his deity, and to take on human flesh and to be born into humble circumstances. We saw the radical nature of God's love in the parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and especially in the story of the lost son, or as we talked about as we came to that story, what might more accurately be called the lost sons. And of course, we see the radical nature of God's love for us most clearly in Christ's willingness to die for our sins, to take upon himself the punishment that we deserve, even though He himself had done nothing wrong. This series touched on many things, but the radical love of God for mankind uh, ran through the entire book as it does through the entire Bible. All of us here today are the objects of God's radical love. There is not a single person in this room, there's not a single person on this entire planet that is not radically loved by God. And many of us here today have responded to God's radical love. We have received Christ as our Savior. We have responded in faith to Him. We have received His grace through faith in Christ and what He did for us on the cross. 
And those of us who have received the radical love of God, who have responded to God's love, what we should do, what we are called to do, is to not only receive His love, but also to extend His radical love to others. This theme is prevalent in the Bible. 1 John 4 has a lot to say about how we should extend this radical love of God. It says things to us like this, Let us love one another, for love is from God. It says things like, Anyone who does not love does not know God. If we love one another, God abides in us. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Don't you love how gentle the Bible is? It's just so gentle. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Galatians 5.22 teaches that the fruit of the Spirit, if we, if we have the Spirit of God living in us, that the fruit that is produced uh, from that, among other things, is love. 1 Corinthians 16.4, let all that you do be done in love. John 13.34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then in Matthew 5, verses 43 and 44, we read this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. That's radical Love. All of these admonitions to love. There are three that I really want to uh, highlight out of that list. First, we love. Why? Because he first loved us. Those who have received radical love should extend radical love. A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Those who have received radical love are to extend radical love. And then this one, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This was said by Jesus, of whom it was said by the Apostle Paul, that he died for people who were sinners. In other words, people who had aligned themselves as his enemies. They had, they had taken a stance opposed to him, against him. They were his enemies. Those who have received radical love should also extend radical love. There are many ways that love can be expressed. Uh, we've seen this just in these verses that I've referenced here. One of the ways it can be uh, expressed by praying for people, even if they are doing wrong by us. 1 Corinthians told us that everything we do should be done in love, which lets us know that, that all of our actions should be motivated, should, should come out uh, of a heart of love. There shouldn't be anything that we do that, that ever isn't touched, isn't, isn't uh, just thoroughly saturated in love. But today I want to look at a specific way that we who have received the radical love of God 
can extend that radical love. As we come to the final verses of Luke, uh, we're turning our attention today to 24, 46 through 49. It's among the last verses in this book. There are just a few that come after it. And what we find in these verses are some of Jesus' parting instructions to his followers before he returns to heaven. What's about to happen as we read these verses is that Jesus is about to return to the Father and he is about to leave his mission of love in the world to his followers, to his disciples. I uh, was with Tim Barrett uh, this week and he commented about how he often marvels at this realization that God entrusted his mission in the world to people. To, to those original disciples and, and now to us. God, God entrusts His mission to people like us with the empowering of the Holy Spirit. He, he wants to work through people like you, people like me, to carry out His mission of love, reconciling men and women to God. Scriptures tell us that God sent His Son to die for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God. Why did He do this? Because He so loved the world. And so what we're going to read here is Jesus commissioning His church to continue this mission of love in the world. We're going to read our text and then we're going to consider over the next few minutes uh, one of the most important ways that we are called to extend radical love. And that is by accepting this mission that Jesus commissions his church to carry out. So if you have your place there, here's what it says. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. With these words, Jesus commissions the church. First of all, Jesus gives the church the message that it is to proclaim. Here it is. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. And this repentance and forgiveness of sins, you'll notice in the text, is tied to Christ's suffering and rising from the dead on the third day. The message that God has entrusted his church. This is why the Apostle Paul said things like this in 1 Corinthians. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. It seems foolish to the world, but it's the wisdom of God and it's the power of of God. This is why Paul would say things like this. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence. It's a statement Paul made that pastors everywhere are thankful for. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom 
as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is why Paul would write things like this in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken Hello. All right. All right. Just when I was getting going. We just have to go home. All right. There we go. Let's let's pray. Pray, church. Pray. Microphone, stay on. All right. Maybe if I keep my hands like this and don't touch the Hello, hello, hello. All right, let's try once more. If it quits this time, I will give up. And testing one, two, three. Testing. Let's get yours, Jason. Just bring it over here on the stand. All right. Dear God, <laughs> help my head not to explode. All right, Stan says take it from the top, so. All right. Note to everybody who works here, let's get this fixed this week. All right, so Paul was writing, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to what I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And then he goes on and he says this, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. Apostle Paul, big deal, Apostle Paul. And here's what he says is of first importance. 
that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. This, friends, is the message that God has given His church. Paul identifies this message as the gospel, the gospel by which you are saved. He says it is the message that is of first importance. Jesus commissioned his disciples. He commissioned the church. He commissioned every one of us who are here today that say we follow him with this message. And here is a sad reality, friends. Today, far too many churches, any churches are too many, too many churches are diluting this message, overlooking this message, in some way altering this message, and sometimes even in places that say they are Christian, the message is flat out being denied. It's been replaced by more palatable messages. Messages like how God just wants you to become the best you that you can be. Messages that do not bring people face to face with this fact that you have sinned against a holy God. That what doing your own thing really is, is in your life conducting a rebellion against the God of the universe. Overthrowing him from the place that is rightfully his and setting yourself, setting ourselves in the place that is reserved for him. Even messages that are biblical messages... Messages such as God wants us to cooperate with him in fixing the injustices of the world become another gospel when they fail to include this. That to cooperate with God in fixing the world, we've first got to allow God to fix us. Do you want people fixing the world that haven't got themselves fixed? No. I even get a little concerned about uh, many of we Christians as we talk about something that is a theme that runs all through the Bible, which is the kingdom of God. But talk about the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, without ever talking about repentance and forgiveness of sins. You can't, you can't do this. You, you have heard me uh, reference on numerous occasions about people who embrace Christ as a great moral teacher, someone to be followed, but then they draw this line at Christ as Savior. They want to follow him, but they don't want him to be their Savior. But friends, when the rule and reign of God is preached absent the cross, absent repentance and forgiveness of sins, you end up with a gospel that the Bible does not know anything about.
asked Kevin DeYoung in his uh, excellent book, What is the Mission of the Church?, discusses this proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom absent a proclamation of the cross, repentance, and forgiveness of sins. And he identifies the gospel of the kingdom rightly as encompassing all of the promised blessings of God that come when people enter and are subject to the rule and reign of God. And then he identifies what he calls the gospel of the cross as being what we have clearly seen in Scripture today, the message that sinners can receive forgiveness uh, through repentance and faith in the atoning death of Jesus. And he helps us, I think, does a great service to the church in that he, he, I, um, he shares with us what the relationship is between the kingdom and the cross. And it is important for us in the vineyard to understand the relationship between the kingdom and the cross. Because in the vineyard, we talk an awful lot about the kingdom. We emphasize the gospel of the kingdom a lot around here. In fact, it's one of the main books that we recommend you read, a book called uh, the, uh, the Gospel and the Kingdom of God. And uh, so, so this is important for us, that God is at work to reconcile all things to himself, that we should join in God's mission in the world, that we should cooperate with God in bringing the blessings of heaven to earth. These are all things that we discuss as being a part of the gospel of the kingdom. But we have to be careful. Because, friends, I submit to you today that the rule and reign of God does not come to a person's life because they decide that they want to do good in the world. The rule and reign of God does not come to a person's life because they decide to join God in his mission of eradicating poverty. The kingdom of God does not come to a person's life because they want to help victims of abuse, because they want to serve those who are victims of natural disasters. There is one way and one way only that a person enters into the kingdom of God. There is only one way that a person receives the rule and reign of King Jesus. And DeYoung explains that this is how the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of the cross work together. They aren't two different gospels. They are one gospel. The gospel of the kingdom includes the gospel of the cross. DeYoung, in his words, says that the gospel of the cross is the fountainhead of the gospel of the kingdom. In other words, what this mean is, means is it is the way the kingdom of God is entered. The cross is the way the kingdom of God is entered. It is the way the blessings of the kingdom are gained. How? Through repentance, through forgiveness of sins that is made available to mankind through the representative substitutionary death of Christ on the cross. Friends, you cannot experience the benefits of the kingdom of God you cannot properly cooperate with God in fixing the world until you have first received personal salvation, which is the entryway into the kingdom of God. Membership in the kingdom comes through submission to the king, recognizing that we have wronged him and receiving his gracious provision to fix our sin problem. That's how you enter the kingdom. 
There are so many things that the church is called to do and teach. But the central message of the church, according to these instructions of Jesus before he ascended it in heaven, is this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins that is available to mankind through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus is not simply a teacher to follow. He is a savior to be received. And you are not a part of the kingdom of God. You are not. No matter how many good things you do, until you say, yes, I receive him as my savior. The cross is the entryway to the kingdom of God. We are in a landscape, a a time, when increasingly people are seeing this message of the cross as foolishness and a stumbling block. I see this on Christian blogs all the time. Embarrassment over the cross. A diminishing of the centrality of the cross in Christian proclamation. But in this, in this uh, time, in this landscape where, where this is happening, we here at Vineyard Christian Church are going to remain a people who understand that the fundamental problem of the world is not a lack of resources. The fundamental problem of the world is not political incivility. The fundamental problem of the world is not racial or gender injustice. The fundamental problem of the world, according to the Bible, is mankind's rebellion against God. That, my friends, is the fundamental problem of this world. It is the problem from which all of those other problems flow out. Mankind's rebellion against God. The preaching of repentance and forgiveness of sins is so important because there is something that is worse than the lack of resources. There is something that is worse than the lack of human flourishing. There is something worse even than physical death. And that is living, dying, and never having come to faith in Jesus Christ. If we give people food, but we leave them to die in their sins, we have not loved them well. If we build someone a house, but we don't tell them about Jesus, we have not loved them well. If we fight poverty, but we don't tell the poor about Jesus, we have simply offered them temporal comfort on their way to eternal torment. 
Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We do all of these things. We do all of these things. We serve the poor. We've talked about that today. We do that. We build people houses. We're doing that in El Salvador. We do all of these things that I've referenced here today. We do them because we love people. We do them because we do want to help them live life well in the here and now. But the message that is of first importance, the, the, the thing for the church that is of first importance, is this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins available to us because Christ died and rose again. Because the primary problem of the world including every individual in the world, is their rebellion against God. Friends, this is the message that the church has been commissioned with. And then Jesus tells us the method of delivery of the message. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And then verse 48 you are witnesses of these things. So the message, repentance, forgiveness of sins. The method is that followers of Christ are called to bear witness. They must share the message. They are called to tell the story. They are called to proclaim what they know to be true. This is the method that the disciples were given then. It is the method for disciples of Jesus now. Of course, we don't bear witness in exactly the same way that they bore witness. You know, they personally saw the resurrected Jesus. What we are called to do is to bear witness to their testimony and to bear witness to our own personal experience of the resurrected Jesus. And so we bear witness differently than they did, but the method remains the same for them as for us. We are told to be witnesses. It says repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached. It'll be spoken. It'll be told. You know, there's this sentiment that has kind of gained hold uh, in the church. It's gained a pretty widespread following in the church. And I'll be honest with you, I've, I've uh, had this sentiment myself uh, in the past. And here's what it says. Preach the gospel. Use words if necessary. Preach the gospel. Use words if necessary. The idea behind that is that our action should bear witness to the gospel. And, and I agree with that to that extent. But I've come to see this as a misguided sentiment for, for a number of reasons. Including this, you can do good from now until Christ returns but people do not automatically grasp the gospel because you did good for them. They think you're a nice person. They think you have a good heart. They don't necessarily get the gospel. Somewhere along the line, we have to tell. We have to proclaim. We have to speak. We have to preach the gospel. And here's another reason. In my searching of the scriptures, as I've looked to find this sentiment, as I've looked to, to find where in the Bible we support that, I've not found it. 
this idea that we only use words if absolutely necessary to preach the gospel seems to be missing from Scripture. The disciples of Jesus proclaimed, they told, they spoke, they preached. These are all verbal communications. They spoke the gospel. That's what Jesus told them to do. And that's what we're called to do. This doesn't mean we stop doing good. It doesn't mean that that our actions are, are to stop pointing to the gospel. Our actions should. But it does mean that we have to stop exactly equating acts of service with preaching the gospel because they are not exactly the same. Somewhere along the line, our mouths have to open and we have to share the good news of Jesus. Ed Stetzer, a a very uh, well-respected Christian leader, uh, if you have ever been to a Lifeway store, he's uh, very involved in, in Lifeway and just resourcing the church. He says that to make this quote biblical, we need to change it to this. Preach the gospel, and since it's necessary, use words. Instead of preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel, and since it is necessary, use words. We are called to be witnesses. Where are we to be his witnesses? To all nations. Matthew says it's to all nations. Acts says Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So it tells us the method is that we are to be witnesses, that we are to verbally proclaim the gospel where we are and throughout the whole earth. This means that we are called to go. The method of the church is not to be come and see. It is to be go and tell. We are called to go. Matthew said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So how do we go? How do we do that? We go by inviting our neighbor, our coworker to church. We go by telling our neighbor, our coworker about what God has done in our lives. We go by doing friendship outreaches, servant evangelism, and being ready when someone says, "Why are you doing this?" we say, Because in some small way, we want to communicate to you that Jesus loves you. He cares for you. We go by hosting international students in our homes for Thanksgiving. And we look for opportunities. We don't force them, but we look for the opportunities that God provides to share our faith. We go by participating in short-term missions and traveling to countries in other parts of the world. We go by church planting. We go by saying, yes, I think God wants me to go to another city and start a church. We go by people who love Jesus, receiving and accepting God's call to pick up their lives, uproot their families, and move to a country somewhere on the other side of the world that doesn't have much of a Christian witness. We are called to go and bear witness for Jesus to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. 
So he gave us the message, he gave us the method, and now he tells us something very important. Imagine how the disciples felt when they were told to take this message to the entire world, to all nations. How do you think that would have felt? Probably would have felt like an impossible task. How does it feel for you as you think about walking across the street and talking to your neighbor about Jesus? feels a little challenging. How does it feel thinking about going on a short-term mission trip, raising money, getting your passport, uh, risking the possibility of sickness, uh, risking the possibility of a giant spider attacking you? How, how, does that, how does that feel? It feels daunting. How does it feel to think about leaving the community that you call home and moving to another community where you feel like God has called you to be involved in getting a church started from the ground up? How does it feel to think about moving to another country where there's not much of a Christian witness? These things are challenging. They're, they're scary. They feel too big for us because they are too big for us. But Jesus did not stop with commissioning his church with the message and the method. He also told the church about the source of power for accomplishing it. Verse 49, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. We are not left to ourselves. We are not left to our own power to accomplish this. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what he's called us to do. Yes, it's challenging. Yes, it's daunting. Yes, it's too big for us. But it's not up to us. We just have to cooperate with the empowering of the Spirit that God wants to give us. And so we need to seek his power. How do we do that? We go to him in prayer. God, my neighbor needs to hear the gospel. Give me the opportunity to share it. Give me the wisdom to know when the right time is. Give me the words to speak. And God, when the opportunity is presented to me, give me the boldness to walk through the open door that you provide for me. We're not left alone. God is with us. Seek him, press into him. He will provide us with the power uh, that, that we need to do what he's commissioned us to do. So we've looked at these things, the message, the method, and the power of the church. And now I want to just share before we close, and I am about to close. Keep in mind, we had a very long interruption there in the middle. How is all this going to turn out? What is the future of the church? Here's what Matthew tells us in the 24th chapter of his gospel. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The gospel is going to be preached to every people group in the world. And then... Christ will return. The mission is going to be accomplished, and then we'll see Jesus. That's the future of the church. Our faith will become sight. All wrongs will be made right. 
sin and death will be vanquished. We will live forever as God intended us to from the beginning, serving and worshiping Him, enjoying this earth that He created and called good. Don't you want to be a part of accomplishing the mission? Don't you? Don't you want to get to heaven and see people that you influenced for heaven? Don't you want to look around and see family members and coworkers and neighbors and, and friends and high school classmates that you open your mouth and shared the message? And there they are. Don't you want that experience? Jesus has commissioned his church. May every one of us here today who call him Savior and Lord participate in the mission that he has given us. Why don't you stand?